1: start of this episode that I've been struggling a lot with major anxiety lately. And anxiety and stress and depression and mental health issues that I have been dealing with for the past eight years tend to manifest in my gut. So it might be TMI, but I've been spending a lot of time in the bathroom this morning. It just seems like my emotions tend to, to somatically manifest in my gut. And maybe that's why I've had so many gut issues my entire life. That's another exploration. But in this episode, I am kicking it off because Whitney and I were having a a text conversation last night as we do and send voice memos back and forth about how I have been feeling this anxiety around making any moves with my money. I have some money set aside. I have a little nest egg and I feel really, really grateful that I have any money at all right now considering at this time, you know, the state of certain things. But the anxiety I'm feeling is I feel afraid to do anything with the money right now. And I know that, you know, there's some theories that money is energy and I believe that and sitting on a pile of cash and not doing with it sometimes to me feels like stagnation. Like it's just sitting there, I'm hoarding it. I'm afraid of doing anything with it because of the uncertainty of the world. But then there's another side of me that's like, things are uncertain all the time. How is this moment in history any more certain or uncertain than any other moment? And then I think about my goals and intentions of wanting to grow my wealth and grow my money and actually have assets that are creating wealth and having more compound interest working for me with stocks and Bitcoin and investments and things like that. And, and I feel like I'm just at this point, Whitney, where I feel frozen because there's the side of me that wants to feel secure and wants to feel safe. And when I look at a certain number in my bank account and I do feel a level of safety and security, it feels good. But then there's the other part of me that's like, you're 43. You don't have investments like you want. You're not growing your assets. Your wealth isn't growing. It's just staying stuck there. And I want to make moves for the future, knowing that if I invest in an ETF or an IRA or stocks or Bitcoin or crypto, whatever, there's no guarantee of shit. There's no guarantee that whatever we do is going to actually generate wealth for us. And like I texted you last night, investing is gambling. Whether you're buying a house and you don't know whether it's going to appreciate or depreciate in the area, whether you're investing in crypto or stocks or you're making hedges or you're investing in shorts. I mean, this is all just really high-level gambling. Let's just call it what it is. And I think the anxiety around me is I've never felt really comfortable with gambling. And there's a part of me that's... you know I was journaling about this last night There's the fear of missing out. There's the FOMO, which I texted you last night about, of don't miss these windows. Things are going really well. There's certain ETFs and certain stocks and certain crypto that's doing great. Don't miss the train, dude. And it's the rub between the FOMO and then the other side of my fear, which is making poor decisions and losing this money. So I feel really, A, to start off, I'm grateful that I even have anything to even consider these options, but I'm stuck between FOMO. And the fear of failure—it's a really, really weird place to be psychologically for me right now.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I—I feel differently, I, or I should say, I don't feel that way. So it's—it's it's curious, you know, like when you can't really relate to somebody. And I think that's a really important thing to explore because my reaction when you were sharing this with me last night, Jason, was. Oh well, let me share my experiences. Maybe that'll help you, but my experiences might not help you just because I feel a certain way or I've had certain experiences doesn't mean that you'll feel that way or have the same experiences. And I'm curious in those moments, first of all, like does it feel helpful for people to share their opinions and their experiences with you or in those times Jason do you just want to like kind of vent and be listened to?
1: I don't know, it it really depends because On the one hand, I realize that in my friend circle and my my close friends, I don't necessarily feel that there's anyone I feel a high level of trust or confidence in in terms of investing. So that's a little bit jarring, right, in the sense that generally when I have a question or I'm struggling with something or there's something I'd like perspective on. I feel really confident and a lot of trust in in my circle of friends and acquaintances and associates and family of being able to talk to someone about a specific subject and, and feeling like I'm getting a high level of feedback and perspective. Right, But when it comes to investing my money and growing my assets and where to put my money, I don't necessarily feel, at least from the immediate close circle I have, that anyone's really deep in that world. And then it makes me wonder like, well, maybe I need to make some new friends then who have some expertise in these these things. You know, I've read a lot of books and I'm I'm reading a lot of blogs about the stock market right now and in crypto and been watching a lot of videos on MSNBC and The Motley Fool and I'm doing a lot of my own research, but what I'm finding Whitney is I am getting into information overload and analysis paralysis. And we've talked about that on the podcast here before, but I feel like now that I'm, you know, branching into this new field of different asset classes and All the seemingly infinite number of places I can, you know, one can put their money. It's no wonder people spend their entire life studying this economists, financial advisors, hedge fund managers, stock market analysts. It's such a diverse dimension of life that has so many roads. I mean, it really is a choose your own adventure. And so as I sit there and I'm looking, okay, do I invest in stocks, individual stocks, or bonds, or commodities, or futures, or Do I put money into Tesla? Do I put money into Bitcoin, Ethereum? What about... It's almost like I feel like I could just be stuck in this analysis forever. And there's a part of me that just wants to go, fuck it, dude. Just take some money, put it somewhere and see what happens. Who cares? You're not going to die. You're not going to be homeless. You're not going to be on the streets, hopefully. You just take a fucking risk. And I feel like my fear of taking risks in life Sometimes is holding me back. Again, it kind of goes to this conversation of being mindful and conservative around finances because we don't know what the future is going to hold versus rolling the dice and taking a risk because what's the colloquial phrase? Fortune favors the bold. What does that mean? What would be a bold move? Would holding on to my money in an uncertain financial economy be bold or would taking a big swing and seeing what happens be bold? Can you see where I'm kind of just like, I'm trying to digest so much information from so many different sources and end up feeling just. Stultified by it all because it's such an, a whole new world for me.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I feel a little concerned as your friend that you might, you know, put money in. And I wonder, based on the way your mind works, if it would be good for your mental health to invest in stocks because. Listening to you, not feeling fully comfortable gambling, taking those risks. I wonder, like, if something crashed, would that lead you to feel really depressed? Because I have a different relationships with my stocks. I have. Shares in three different stocks right now. And two of them have done really well. I was telling you privately, Jason, that one of them has been doing well for like the 14 years I've owned it. I haven't had that many experiences with that specific stock that have made me uncomfortable. And I also got that stock as part of my employment. It was a stock option. So at the time, it was like coming out of my paycheck. It really, I was so like, you know, 14 years ago, a different person. And I, it was just like, oh, this is a little perk. I'll try this out. I remember actually when I first started working there, hearing about the stock options, but feeling really ignorant. So I didn't sign up for it. And I had regretted it not signing up soon enough. I was working for the company for over six years. And I think it took me about a year to invest. And the stock had already grown a lot in that time. So it was like, oh my God, can I? Can you imagine like what would have happened if I had put part of my paycheck in earlier? But I don't really think about that that much anymore. And I don't regret it. So that has felt really stable, but there's no guarantee. Like at any point, that company, something could shift, something could go wrong in the media, like another company could overtake them. Like we don't know. And the same thing is true with one of my other stocks that's extraordinarily. Like the performance of that stock is mind blowing. And I wish I owned more of it. And I wish I had sold one share of it. And I wish that I hadn't. But you know, I made that decision at the time that felt best for me. And I think that's been my learning experience with stocks is that it has been a gamble and it has been mostly made in ignorance. I remember growing up learning a little bit about the stock market in school, but like being incredibly confused by it. So I dismissed it. And then I think my parents invested some money through a family member who, I don't know if he still works in the stock industry or whatever it's called, financial industry. But I remember like some money being invested in my behalf. I think we might have sold it by now, but that was like my only understanding. And so it actually took experimenting for me to learn Jason, which has been Interesting and helpful and like the process of selling stock too was interesting and I would like get really anxious about it because I'm like am i selling at the right time and I was just playing around with it and I'm comfortable with that you know and I you have to really decide if you're comfortable or you need to as you were saying go to those links to educate yourself but then the question is like how much time do you spend educating yourself on these things like you and I both have read at least part of Tony Robbins book money which i think is a really good resource to start with so for the listener we'll put that in the show notes at well of com, which is spelled w e l l e v a t r.com that book money it's really thick it's like 700 pages or something and i'm inspired to go back and read that but even reading that book alone is a <laughs> a time investment I think I talked about on the podcast how my big goal for 2021 is to pay off my credit card debt. So when you were talking about investing in stock, Jason, I was thinking to myself, gosh, that does sound great. Like I want to invest more in stock, but I have to look at where my priorities are. And number one, I would like to pay off my credit card debt and then maybe after that invest more. And then the other option is like fully paying off my car or something. So I think... It's important to look at all your different financial priorities and then your financial comfort levels in order to determine this. And then lastly, or the next step, I should say, is to turn to the experts, like you're saying, is is read the books or take some courses. And you can learn so much for free online, but you have to also think about that time investment and that overwhelm. And then in your case, Jason, thinking about the mental load of it is, does this... Feel like it would be good for your mental health? Can you handle the stress of taking some money that might feel really precious to you right now, investing it and potentially losing it all or going up and down? You know, one of my stocks, I remember having major FOMO with it because when it's the IPO or whatever, see, I don't even know these terms fully, but when it became publicly available as a traded company, a lot of my friends invested in this company. And this is a product that I use frequently. So I thought, I should get on this board, but I didn't jump into it right away. And everyone was like so excited because it didn't cost that money when it opened, but it blew up and people made all this money in a very short amount of time, rose and rose and rose. And I kept thinking, gosh, like I really should have bought it. And then it started to come down. And I was so excited because I had a certain amount of money. I'm like, if this stock comes down to this number, I'm going to buy one share. And I did. And that was like two years ago or so. And it never... Has really paid off. Actually, I should say, I think twice in the entire two years I've had it, Jason, has it gone above what I paid it for it. And I don't know, like, it seems weird to me, right? but I don't know why this this company from the outside looks like the stock would do really well, but for some reason it hasn't. And I only have one share, so it's not a big deal, but it's kind of frustrating. And it, it's irritating sometimes when you look and see it down and you look at the history of your money and you're like, Ugh, was that a stupid choice or did I invest too late? So there's this whole mental game that comes along with it. And I'm curious, do you actually think that you can handle that, Jason? And my next follow-up question to that is what is your ultimate goal? Is this a long game for you because I think a lot of times with stock, one of the best methods is to put money in there and just never take it out unless like you really need to.
1: It's a good question. I think for me the idea of of building long-term wealth and financial stability is the core of it in the sense that if I look at, you know, the assets that I have, they're either depreciating assets which would also be known, I guess, as a liability, but I don't have anything that's generating wealth for me. So in that sense, it's a concern that I don't have any, you know, that's the overall concern is if I'm just working to earn a living and I'm not having my money grow and I'm not having wealth being generated, I'm realizing that that's extremely concerning. So it, it sort of, again, goes back to this mental gymnastics of at some point, I'm gonna need to take a risk. Investing in real estate's a risk investing like I said in futures or gold or precious metals or commodities it's it's all a risk so it to me I think is not necessarily about where I'm deciding to put my money as much as this is as you alluded to a mental game of if we look at you know relationships are a risk if you look at it this way like everything worthwhile to a degree and I, I guess I want to blow this out to a more meta conversation right my exploration of this anxiety that I'm feeling around, where to put my money or what to do with it, is more about, I think, me trying to protect myself and assessing, we've talked about this previously too, you know, risk reward ratio. And how much in my life am I in different areas, not just financially, maybe, you know, in terms of, I don't know, my relationships too, keeping myself, quote, safe and protected by not risking enough. You know, is this a conversation of me being scared of taking a risk and not dealing with the fact that I might risk something and lose but how often do we do that in life we've done that with jobs i've i've accepted jobs and gotten into it and realized it was definitely not the right fit and had to start over i've lived in four or five different cities and had to start my life over i've had you know years in certain relationships and had them end and then need to start over so I guess at the foundation, what I'm saying, Whitney, is I feel like this is a deeper spiritual mental exploration for me of what are the associations I have around security and risk and money and trying new things and letting go of the outcome. You know, it it reminds me actually of, I don't know if you were with me for this experience, but years ago, and this came up for me last night as I was right about to fall asleep. It was at the Longevity Now conference, I think back maybe in 2000. Twelve or thirteen, I can't remember what year. But John John Robbins was a speaker. Were you at that conference with me for that one? Seeing John Robbins, mm, I don't recall. Maybe. Okay. Okay. Well, John was a keynote at this this conference. I used to speak at that, no longer exists in its current form, called the Longevity Now Conference. And in John's keynote speech, he was talking about, you know, overcoming devastating situations in life. And I remember during this talk, he was explaining his history, of course, of passing up the inheritance and taking over the Baskin Robbins ice cream fortune and his father being on his deathbed and the emotional healing he had with his father as he was passing away. But in the few years prior to John giving this speech, he talked about how he and his wife put the majority of their life savings into an investment structure that was part of the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme. And a little bit of history, Bernie Madoff was this investor who had this Ponzi scheme, who took a bunch of people's money and essentially lost people millions and millions of dollars. And John was saying that they were completely wiped out and devastated financially, that they had taken this risk on this investment based on different friends of theirs investing in, into what eventually became a Ponzi scheme, and they lost everything. And I remember sitting there looking at this man who had spent decades as an activist and an author and a speaker and had built up this wealth and had this family. And, and then in his, I, I think he might've been in his late 60s, early 70s, to lose the majority of his wealth, almost everything. And I thought, wow, like that hit me in the heart. I remember crying because I could feel, you know, the empathy for that situation but he was saying, you know, the resilience of the human spirit, the ability to, for us to persevere and survive devastating situations is sort of beyond our greatest understanding. And he was talking about how he and his wife were kind of going back to more a more simple way of living and, and reframing their relationship to rebuilding their nest egg and their wealth and their approach to money. And I thought last night, you know we don't know what's going to happen. We can take the best financial advice. We can have the best financial advisor. You know, you need to invest in this ETF and this IRA and this crypto and that. And I think that's what comes back to is I, I could make myself blue in the face, Whitney. And you know, I love doing research too. That's one thing we share. I just, I love researching any major purchase that I make. But eventually I realize that even if I quote, listen to the best advice or find a couple advisors that I really resonate with, it doesn't guarantee anything for me. It doesn't guarantee safety, it doesn't guarantee a return, it doesn't guarantee any it really just comes down to we can try i think and inoculate ourselves against chaos or loss or pain or suffering. Whether that's our interpersonal relationships, our job choices, our investments, but i realize like no matter what i do, Whitney, in any form of relationship to money or investments or people, there's no guarantee of anything and there's always the possibility of pain, suffering and loss you know? So it's sort of this this spiritual mental game for me right now of realizing that no matter what I do, it's not going to guarantee success. And it comes back to these philosophies you and I talk about of follow these 10 steps to being a great investor. And these are the things you should do and read this blog and follow this person. And, you know, you mentioned the Tony Robbins book. I read the whole thing and I sat through that, that tome, that giant book and read everything. And at the end of it went, okay, so... The one thing I can take away from this is I feel like diversity and having your money set in different areas is sort of like the best approach because on any given day, one thing can be up and another can be down and another thing can be down another thing can be up. So rather than putting, you know, tens of thousands of dollars into one thing and just hoping and praying, it seems that, you know, slicing up the pie into a lot of different slices and putting them in different places seems to be the approach, at least at this point, That I gleaned from Tony's book, and that I've looked at other investment advice, is diversity and variety seems to be like a foundational key. I know that was a long-winded rant, but I really think like for me, my relationship to money and security and safety and what I hope for the future is absolutely part of my spiritual journey. Like I have no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, and I guess bringing it back to the financial side of it, Jason. I mean, you gave me a number that you said that you had or could comfortably invest and I'm curious is that money that perhaps you could you could put towards something else like you know do you have all your debt paid off for example and and what do you think about this concept of paying off your debt before you invest in something else
1: well, I do have other financial goals for sure. Much like you, I do want to pay off all my debt and, and I have this nest egg of, of cash set aside to not only pay off debt, but as either a you know, slash emergency fund or as a, a partial down payment on a house, right? So it very much is this indecision fatigue of, okay, do I hold on to this money because part of it's an emergency fund? And that's really probably a smart thing to have given the volatility of the world right now. And I also do want to keep paying off my debt, increasing my credit score, and have a down payment for a house when I'm ready. And so it is this, this like, ah, but okay, if I'm, you know, if I'm paying out, say, whatever, 15 or 20% interest on my credit card as just a random example, right? But if I take the money that I would be using to pay off that debt and I invest it in a asset that say is getting a 50% return or 100% return, I mean, there's crazy shit going on right now in terms of certain investments that the return is, is insane. And everyone's like, it's not sustainable, it won't last. But who knows? I mean, stuff keeps climbing and climbing and climbing. So if I put my money in something that's getting a higher percentage return, than the percentage of debt that I owe on my credit, then couldn't I just make the money and get a higher yield and return on the investments versus the 15 to 20% you know, interest rate that I'm having on my credit card? Again, I feel like I need to find someone and sit down and talk to them and be like, this is what's in my brain. What the hell should I do? And maybe I do need to reach out and find a financial advisor that I can know, like, and trust and talk to them about this because the money is just sitting there and I feel like it needs to go somewhere whether that's, again, a down payment on a house, investing there, paying off more debt, or putting it into different asset classes in terms of stocks or index funds or crypto. You know, the idea of it just sitting there and doing nothing is very uncomfortable to me because it's not going anywhere. And I think the purpose of money as embodied energy is to move, right? If I just sit there and I hoard this money and don't do anything with it, the energy's not moving. So again, wherever I put it, I feel like it needs to be doing something good, you know, because if it's just sitting there and not moving and the energy isn't flowing, just on principle, it's not doing anything for me. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's that's certainly a great point. And I think this is probably where this anxiety comes from is there's just so many options. And coming back to a more relatable experience that I've had recently is I felt that way with my debt because there's different ways to pay down debt. Do you pay off this credit card first? Like There's a, the avalanche method, I think it's called, where I think you pay off the card that has the highest interest or like you take a sum of money and you split it up amongst all of your cards and you you know you're just paying them all down at the same time and i felt a little bit overwhelmed but i just picked a method to start with and i picked a number and like even talking about it right now like the number i chose to put towards my debt like feels really high and uncomfortable but at the same time when that payment went through i felt like so empowered because i thought this is so great. And if you think about it, Jason, like what if if you can do calculations to see how much money you're spending on interest and it's it's so unpleasant. When I saw one of my cards has a super high interest rate because of the way that it's set up because you you get a certain amount interest free for each payment and so it sounds really appealing but when you really look at the details of a credit card it's like oh my gosh like I can't believe I've been paying that much interest and then like I have another card that I remember I bought something on thinking I would pay it off really fast and I never did and I don't even honestly want to know how much interest I've paid since I did that because it probably like made the purchase so much higher than it really needed to be. You know what I mean? Like Because of the convenience of being able to pay it off little by little. And I think that's the interesting thing with money and the reasons why credit cards are such a great business is because our brains think one thing, but then our circumstances can lead to something else. And that's why I'm thinking like, the sooner I can pay off these credit cards, the less I have that financial burden of having to pay for them every single month plus interest. And what could I do with those credit card payments and that interest amount that I'm going to save? I can take that money and put it into my stock. So this is one thing that you could look at, Jason, is like, calculate how much interest you're paying every month or year. And then say, as soon as these cards are paid off, I'm going to take that interest money that I saved and invest into a stock or something, right? Like wouldn't that feel really good? Because it it seems to me if you're taking money right now, and again, I'm not a financial advisor. This is just the way my I perceive it right now. But like if you're investing in a stock and you are paying credit cards and interest and all of that, it's like, well, you're technically losing money on your credit card. So like doing that little reframe could maybe be something quickly you could do right now, if that makes sense. As a like, it's more, there's more certainty in that. Like, you know, if you pay your credit cards off faster, if you take that sum of money you told me about and put that towards your credit cards, like how much money would you save in interest by the end of the year?
1: Yeah, this is, it's gymnastics really is what we're talking about, you know? And, and I don't want to get, I think I told you, I don't want to get stultified in, you know, analysis paralysis and, and decision fatigue here. It's like, I know I have multiple aims, purchasing a house, potentially moving out of state having money set aside for investments and in retirement and paying down debt. I mean, those are three massive goals, right? So I'm feeling like I'm feeling an excitement around it, but also fear. And I think that's probably normal because I feel excited about those three goals of investing more and paying down debt and purchasing a house. Those Those are three things like when I think about, it, I'm like, ooh, I feel excited about that. But then when I think about the reality of like, oh, there's your nest egg, what do you want to do with it? You should keep some, right? You want to have something in your savings, obviously. You want to have some actual liquidity for things. But I, I really feel strongly about slicing up that pie and maybe putting it into three different buckets. I don't know. I, I feel, again, like maybe talking to someone who's been in the industry for a long time and just picking their brain about this would be good rather than reading a bunch of anonymous blogs and and books. and. And I think it's also it's also confronting, as I said at the beginning episode, with you know the the feeling of failure of making the quote wrong decision. But at the end of the day, I've you know to quote Freddie Mercury, you know, and bad mistakes I've made a few. You know, we're going to quote fuck up in life. But at the end of the day, if I look back on on the things that I've done that were like big doozies, did I survive them? Yeah am i breathing do i have a roof over my head do i have food on the table do i get to bathe in clean water every day you know the simple gratitude practices it's like so if i take a swing and it doesn't go the way that i thought okay you know i i can't be in the mindset of beating myself up or being cruel to myself or what if or you should have done this or you should have done that and i was already doing that last night you know i i remember i remember in 2012 or 13 walking into Locali, the the deli that we've gone to in Hollywood. And I remember there was a, there was like a machine. It was like a, a hybrid ATM where you could buy Bitcoin. I remember walking into Locali and there was this ATM type machine where you could either like, I think, take out cash or buy Bitcoin. And I remember you and I going in there and like, oh, what's this Bitcoin thing? Maybe I should get it and then a few years later mutual friend of ours was deep into crypto and like in that world and like oh you guys need to buy this and i feel like it's one thing that's kept coming up over the years over and over and i hesitated and like this is weird what the fuck is this blockchain crypto shit what is this decrypted you know currency that's without borders and you know so last night i'm like you fucking asshole you should have bought it you know back 8 years ago and you but we can't live that way we can't live in that mentality of shoulda coulda woulda it's a deep dark unpleasant hole to find ourselves in so I think what I'm trying to say is, barring some extremely reckless choice that I make, will I probably be okay and survive whatever decision I make? Yeah. You know, so I need to keep that in mind too, Whitney, you know, is, is I, can't, I can't allow myself to be frozen, you know? And so I want to make wise decisions, but I also realize that in order to grow in life in any capacity, one has to be able to tolerate a certain amount of risk. Like, that's just part of it, you know, and and really also, you know, looking at the core of my, the core issue really for me is like safety, you know, no matter what, it's like you talked about my mental health and yes, I don't want to do anything that's going to potentially compromise my mental health, but I also have to realize that quote, playing it safe my entire life and trying to not fuck up. We talk about, you know allowing ourselves to experiment. And that's one thing that we've built this podcast and this brand Wellevator on is this sense of conscientious experimentation. So I think I'm just talking myself through this with you in real time of, I know I need to make new experiments right now. I just really want to get clear about what those experiments are before I do them. And again, being unattached to the outcome, good, bad, or indifferent.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a really healthy mentality to be experimenting and an in, in, in- overarching thing across all of our lives. You know, everything is an experiment and each of us finding our comfort zones and whether or not does it make sense to be in that comfort zone? Does it make sense to go out of that comfort zone? It's going to depend on on each case and it's going to fluctuate. And, you know, I'm just want to make sure because I know that finances are a mental health trigger for you, Jason. Like you need to be very mindful Whenever you make these choices, because if you do decide to invest money, like the idea is that it's going to be sitting in there without you accessing it, I, I think due to taxes or just due to the whole point of it, because let's just say you put an X amount of money and it goes down. But let's say you need that money. Now you're, you're taking the money out in that case and you lost it so it wasn't the best choice for you whereas in the long run like you could like I really think it makes sense to invest money that you don't need at that time and you don't anticipate needing for a while that would be my big recommendation for you that's why it was easy for me to have money taken out of my paycheck and then I think actually at least one of my other stock purchases that I mentioned earlier came because I get dividends from one of my stocks and that's something to look into by the way jason cuz like me being so ignorant about stocks like i didn't realize that not every company gives dividends but every I don't know if it's every quarter or something like I just get money based on how much stock I own and how much money the company has made and that's like free money that I I put into I keep in my trading account and I'll save it up and then I'll buy another share of stock either with the same company or a different company. So in a way, I know for sure actually the more I think about this that one of the other companies I invested in I used a dividend amount to pay for. So that basically the first stock that I bought Ended up paying for another company so that I can invest in them. And that method makes sense because all of this money was not something I really needed when I bought it. Versus for you, like really checking yourself and making sure, like, am I okay with putting this money away for X amount of time? And do I really feel confident that I'm not going to need it and I'm not going to regret it? And it's okay for it to go up and down for a while? Like, what do you think, Jason?
1: Again it's difficult because I read other financial quote experts that are like you know you need to have this emergency fund put aside and and this is the amount of money per month you know based on your living expenses to you know to cover any potential emergencies and so there's that side of it too of like well I ha- I do have an emergency fund so then maybe maybe the approach is instead of dipping into that emergency fund right of of liquid cash whatever I'm earning Beyond that, right? Like I don't touch it. And so when I get like surprise money, like you're talking about, you know, whether that's, I don't know, a stimulus check or some affiliate money or whatever it is, then I can take that and throw that into investments without touching the nest egg because there's a part of me that's like, no, 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 you know, you should tolerate risk more and, you know, dip into the nest egg a little bit and put that in. But then there's another part of me that's like, that nest egg's taken a really long time to build up. And you know what it's like? It's almost like there's the part of my psyche that sounds like a fatherly voice. And there's a part of my psyche that is almost like a child voice. It's almost like the FOMO part or the part of me that feels like it's missing out or missing the boat or going to be worried about my future is almost like the childlike part of my psyche. Whereas the part of my psyche that is saying, you know, keep your nest egg, keep your emergency fund, and then any extra money from this point forward that comes in, put that into investments. That feels more of like the fatherly voice, you know? And so it's interesting to identify that there are different voices in my head. That sounds a little bit strange to say, but it's true. I, I feel like sometimes there's the scared, insecure fearful child that's worried about the future, worried about his safety, worried about his security, worried about his status in life, right? And then there's the fatherly side of me that's like, everything's going to be okay. You can't make a wrong choice. And it's wise for you to have a safety net for life right now Giving the level of chaos and change and tumult that is existing in the world at this moment, right? So I feel like it's for me, not just this situation, Whitney, but a lot of situations in life where I am trying to find the balance of allowing the child inside of me to be heard and witnessed and loved in some ways as I wasn't when I was actually that age, versus maybe playing the role for myself of being a good father and learning how to parent myself and love myself and say, look, it's okay that you want to feel secure. It's okay that you want to feel safe. And you do have an amount of money aside that makes you feel safe. So why not anything else that comes in, play with that, risk that, experiment with that, and then you have the best of both worlds. And maybe in real time, I'm actually, like I said, talking myself through this with you and you're being a witness to it, Whitney. But I'm kind of curious if you resonate with that sort of dialogue of, for lack of a better word you know if you identify maybe there's this parental part of your psyche or more maybe older and wiser part versus the young girl that wants certain things and is that is that something that you experience maybe in your own kind of framework does that come up for you
0: well i think it's it's really helpful to think about this in terms of Safety, you know, I'm glad that you touched upon that because finances are so tied to our sense of safety. And I do like that idea of like, okay, do I have everything covered? Great. Anything additional I can do XYZ with? Like, my mom actually taught me that. And it's been a mentality that's been really helpful because she says, if I ever get like surprise amounts of money from something, Like a check I wasn't expecting, or, you know, who knows? Like money can come in so many unexpected ways. And that certainly happened to me. What if you use that money that you weren't expecting to receive to do things like investing or paying off credit cards? Like her context was paying off credit cards. And I like that concept a lot, but I wasn't super disciplined with it because what I was in the habit of is every time I would get money where from whatever source expected or unexpected I would put it into my spreadsheet where I manage all my all my finances and I'd like use it as a cushion for upcoming months and I'm like okay great I have a bigger cushion now and it was like I was stockpiling away because that made me feel safe but this year now that I'm very determined to pay off my credit cards I am thinking of it differently. And I realized that the approach that works best for me is to give myself a certain amount that I plan on paying unless for some reason I can't that month, right? So I, I came up with a number. I looked at, I I projected my finances and said, okay, like this number feels slightly uncomfortable, but mostly comfortable and doable. This is what I'm going to pay off every month. And if something comes up, that's fine because I'll still be able to meet my credit card minimums at least. And that works better for me because I've noticed my habits in that. I would like. I'm not in the practice of like taking extra money and like immediately putting into my credit cards. However, I easily could become in the habit of that. Like, I just have to be more intentional about it. It's just I think if we examine like where we're at mentally and and again what makes us feel safe. It makes me feel safer to like project ahead of time with my money because I'm I'm able to better reach my goals that way.
1: Yeah, it's this balance, really of our immediate goals or intentions or aims and then trying to inoculate ourselves against the future and not inoculate ourselves that's like <laughs> like the future is a disease that was the wrong word anticipate future needs you know and and aren't we doing that with so many aspects of our life we're doing that with our finances we're doing that with our health we're doing that with our relationships it's i think it's you brought up a really important part of this conversation Whitney of being in the moment and being as present as possible versus trying to create some sort of future security. And I think that's ultimately what this comes down to for me is having these more immediate goals of paying off debt and you know buying a home versus looking at 30, 40 years from now of investing money into assets that are going to compound and grow. So it really does come down to What do I want to have happen in the more immediate reality versus, you know, looking decades in the future? And again, we don't know. I mean, by the year 2050, 2060, who the hell knows what's going to happen? But I guess this is part of being human, isn't it? It's trying to attend to our immediate needs for love and companionship, food, shelter, safety, connection, and then really, really trying to, and I think we're probably one of the only... Organisms, perhaps, other than maybe dolphins or whales or certain primates that have the cognitive ability to think into the future. You know, we're one of the few sentient beings here on the planet that has this idea of mortality, that has this idea of a potential future and wanting to be safe and secure. And so maybe this is something that's just wired in us, wit. You know, if we look back at our ancestors trying to ferment things and pickle things and store food for the winter and create shelter and take care of future generations. I think that maybe our desires right now in this increasingly technocratic society with cryptocurrency and self-driving cars and different investments we've never seen before, that it might just be going back to that primal urge of, can I feel safe and taken care of not only in the moment, but maybe for my children and the generations in the future and, and myself, if I am going to live 30, 40, 50 more years. And so again, I think as we're maybe wrapping this conversation, it's to me, this incredible mental and spiritual gymnastics of safety, security, fear, excitement, experimentation, and wanting to live in the moment, but also try and secure some sort of future for myself. And so you can see why I'm up at night. (laughs) You can see why I'm up at night. Like, eh, there's a lot going on in my head right now. But ultimately it's like, I must take some form of action right? Inaction is not the key. Some action must be taken, whether that's saving more money, paying down the debt, putting more nest egg aside for a future house, or investing in these new asset classes. Something must happen. In this moment, I'm unclear as to what that is, and that's okay. One thing's for sure, Whitney, I don't want to make decisions out of desperation, rushing them. I don't want to make them out of FOMO. I want to make a decision out of excitement, curiosity, experimentation, And also making sure that I'm covering my ass, you know, (laughs) I'm not going to take every single dollar I have and be like, I'm going to invest all of it. I think I'm just working through this process of realizing that it's much, much deeper than just numbers on a page or numbers in my portfolio or numbers on a spreadsheet. It really does come down to my relationship to life, you know, and I think money and this conversation around money is a teacher and a glimpse into our life philosophies And I'm realizing for me, that's very much true, you know, in, in going deep down this rabbit hole and feeling my discomfort with it and feeling my curiosity with it. I'm wondering what other aspects of my life are kind of intertwined in this. So no matter what I do, I realize I'm learning a hell of a lot about myself. And I think there's value in that, you know, no matter what decision is being made here, I'm learning more and more about who I am and what makes me tick. And I'm grateful for that. So any closing thoughts, Whitney, on this episode?
0: Well, one thing that came to mind is that I actually think you can use, going back to free resources for information, I bet you you could learn a lot about this and or start great conversations about this on Clubhouse. And for the listener, we did a whole episode on Clubhouse when we first joined, and so much has changed since that episode. Maybe we'll do a follow up, but this could be part of the follow up is that, you know, we did a live semi live, like we went on, on to Clubhouse. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, we'll link to this in the show notes at wellevator.com for you. We went on to Clubhouse, and not much happened and we were like super impressed at that time but but still open minded and then the next day everything shifted and i got really into clubhouse and now i'm like utilizing a lot and and again if you don't even know what i'm talking about clubhouse is a newer social network application that you can use. It's on iOS only, meaning Apple devices. And it's based in audio chats. And it's really full of amazing people with lots of interests, very educated people, a lot of professionals. And I bet you there's amazing conversations about investments happening on Clubhouse, Jason, that you could just go listen to And like I said, you could also start your own discussion and bring on people and almost like use that as you asking questions to the experts and they could come on and give you answers, which is an amazing way to use a platform like Clubhouse. And then when you said like, this is what keeps me up at night, I will say as the opposite side of of Clubhouse, the downside to Clubhouse is it's literally been keeping me up at night, Jason, and not in the sense of me utilizing it so much. And this could probably be a whole separate episode since we are about to wrap this one. Clubhouse gives me anxiety that I didn't fully realize. And so much so that since I started using it, I've had multiple nights where I wake up in a panic thinking that I accidentally like went live in my sleep or like I've had these like bizarre, almost like irrational thoughts, but that are like, I think, deep rooted. Anxiety around safety and like feeling like I'm accidentally doing something or exposing myself or like not fully trusting myself or something. And that's, you know, ties into this whole conversation. <laughs> and so I have to be incredibly mindful of my usage of clubhouse and like how I think about it before I go to bed because it's like triggering this bizarre fear within me. And the same thing's actually true with TikTok and it's just interesting cuz on a conscious level I think those platforms are amazing but last night I woke up like 2 or 3 hours after I fell asleep in this like weird mental state about like something happening on TikTok that doesn't even make sense to me now that I'm awake and it's like my brain is still utilizing those platforms even when I'm not actually on them and that's a bit concerning. <laughs> so, I'm going to throw that in there maybe as a teaser for a future episode, but I have to add that on to recommending these platforms because we need to be very aware about their presence in our lives and the pros and cons of utilizing them.
1: Well, I'm glad you shared that Whitney. I mean, it's really really fascinating to hear about what keeps people up at night, doesn't it? I mean, we could probably do a whole episode as you said on that of these things that come through in our subconscious or conscious minds to you know be looked at and dealt with. And I think it's really interesting that's come up for you. And, and again, to the dear listener, we will definitely dive into this conversation because I feel like it wants to be explored on a much more broad level. So stay tuned for that because we will have that in an in upcoming episode. For this episode, if you want to access any of the resources, books, Articles, perspectives that we mentioned in this conversation around the relationship between money and safety and security and spirituality, you can go to our website. Again, it's welllevator.com. That's spelled W E L L E V A T R.com. Click on the podcast section in the global navigation. It'll take you to the show notes for this episode and all of our previous episodes. And we will again have the links to all of the books we mentioned and teachings and research. If you are also on a path of wanting to, Explore your financial life and maybe try some new experiments with that. We're all in the same boat. I feel like in terms of trying new things, and especially in this year 2021, I feel like one of my overarching things is to do things differently and try new things I've never tried before. So with that mantra, we'll see where it leads. You can find us on all of the social media platforms as well. We're at WellEvator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And if you want to email Whitney and myself, you can email us at hello at Thanks for being with us as always, as we explore the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the sideways movements of trying to figure out what it means to be a human here on planet earth. And maybe Mars in the future. That's a different conversation too. (laughs) So until then, until next time, thank you, dear listener. And we will be back again with another episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable really soon.
0: Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's
1: W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.